Welcome to the realm of magic and mystery, classic horror and sci-fi. You are now entering the House of the Unusual podcast with your hosts, Eddie and Joe. Welcome all you cool ghouls and friendly fiends to the House of the Unusual podcast. I'm your host, Joe Pavlansky. With me as always is the maestro of Mail Order Mysteries, Eddie Guevara. Today, the house opens its doors to Todd, King of the Sea Monkeys Machin, Dr. Robert Roberto Boyajan, and newcomer Jeff Masisa. Hope I said your last names right, guys. I hope I didn't butcher them too bad, but how's how's everyone doing tonight? Very good. Very good. Thank good. You. Well, let's let's start. We'll go around the uh, the room here. Todd. Yeah. What's new with you, brother? It's been a long time since since we heard uh, from you. How's the, the Sea Monkey Kingdom uh, holding up? Yeah, no, everything's doing good in Sea Monkey land. Um, we've launched some new products. There's uh, Sea Monkey Magic Sand just came out at seamonkeys.com. And um, well, we got a kids a children's puzzle that's coming out soon. And we did a 60th anniversary mug for uh, 19... 19- uh, 2020 was the 60th anniversary of Sea Monkeys, so we did a limited edition 60th anniversary mug based on the original artwork for the first Sea Monkey card. Um, we did just a limited edition of 60 in honor of the 60th anniversary, and I think we're down to like about six or left, so they sold quick. Awesome. Now, that Sea Monkey sand, is that anything special, or is it just sand to put at the bottom of... Uh of your aquarium no what it is joe is it's uh it's a spinoff of the old dracula's a soil from dracula's castle that was advertised in the old warren publication monster magazines awesome yeah very cool so roberto that was uh, the inspiration here we are okay hey roberto uh for for people that didn't hear you on our last podcast you want to uh tell everyone a little bit about yourself that that might be their first time listening Right. I'm a medical doctor, internal medicine. I take care of adults. And my real interest is getting people healthy so they could live long lives without a lot of medical intervention. Everybody's become a whole victim of the system. And that's what this COVID produced. So I really look at the whole system. And this is a critical time for people to look at their health because this is one pandemic. This can happen again. You can get a vaccine, but the virus can mutate. It might not protect you. So the most important thing is learn how to get healthy. And that's what I teach my patients. That's what I practice myself. So I hope to continue doing this for another 15 years. That's what I told my wife. We can retire to Florida then. She's, awesome, awesome. She's waiting. Oh, I'm, I'm sure she is. And, and if anybody out there hasn't uh, heard our last uh, podcast with, uh, with Dr. Boyajan on it, Take a look at it. He has some great medical advice uh, towards the end there for you, <clears throat> free of charge, of course. Of course. And uh, we have we have our newcomer Jeff Masisa, I believe it is. Did I say that that right, Jeff? You're pretty close, Masessa. Yeah, Jeff, Masessa. Take, wanna, you're the newcomer here, so uh, tell everybody a little bit about yourself, maybe some of your interests, and, and you know, go from there. Well, I'm I'm a little bit in the similar industry as. Uh, Roberto there in the medical industry, I'm from the other end where uh, we allow the industry to be medical doctors. So I do a medical management company specializing in dermatology where we do skin cancer. So we go ahead and try to uh, promote proper medicine, proper care so that, uh, you know, the patients themselves can... excuse me, uh, take care of their skin to the best they can. And if they do have any issues, we can utilize Mo surgery and take care of their skin issues. So it's a pleasure. Awesome. To be on awesome. And I want to thank you guys again for, for coming on and uh, joining us. We got some great topics uh, tonight. So Eddie, what is, what's new over at uh, the house of the unusual headquarters? Well, everything's going as planned, Joe. Everything's going as planned. Now, one of the exciting things I am hearing right now is we have Dr. Robert here, who he he's able to, uh, you know, help guys live better and stuff. And we have Jeff here, who apparently has all this dermatological stuff. Now, what I think it's good about this is you see Todd being the key of the king of the sea monkeys like he is. He has emerged where his, his skin has gone rough from going in and out of the water. <laughs> 
So I, I, I think if it's <laughs> a place where he can get yeah. help now. I, so Todd, you're in good hands, man. We're I have these strange scales on my back. I don't know. I don't know what that might be. Exactly, yeah. Well, well, Todd, with the two doctors on now, maybe you could offer your, your sea monkey uh, people some some health care or something now, and they don't have to be left in the wind. Yeah, there you go. Eddie, what was that movie? The, or Under the, the Water. Creature from the, the Black Lagoon? Was that a movie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's yes, that is the the early life of Todd Machen before he got into <laughs> yeah, correct before. He... Yeah, that's actually one of my favorite old monster movies. He had like a rubber suit on. He's yeah. underwater and he grabbed the woman or something. Yeah, and there were like ten people on the boat. I well, remember you... this is a horrible. It looked so bad. It was like the worst movie you ever saw. Oh, those are, those might but be you know fighting something? words for some people. <laughs> no, it was so bad. No, that well, it was you, good. you know, you stop watching it. <laughs> Here's the thing, and, and and Jeff, I bet you Jeff knows this, but one of the guys that appeared in that movie, the first time a famous actor ever appeared on television was Lloyd Bridges. Movie. And Lloyd that was Clean, e- Clean Eastwood. Oh. No, Clean Eastwood, where he played the scientist really? in the original creature. That's the first time he ever Eddie, appeared on television. let me ask you something. Why did all these science fiction movies come out in the 50s? What was it about? Was it about a whole nuclear age or something? Godzilla, what was the time? Why was that so interesting then? I I think Joe can answer that better than I I, I I would have to say that it was, you know, you had, well, horror movies, you know, they were always, you know, very popular, but they started getting real, you know, science fiction-y, I guess, you know, in the 50s and 60s. And I, I believe that that came from the atomic age. You know, once we, we dropped the bomb, you know, you had... Uh, kind of the science fiction explosion there i mean you always had the the pulp uh magazines that that dealt with sci-fi and all that and some of them were hardcore sci-fi some were very kid-like but you had you know kind of like a, a niche audience with that but once the atomic age hit you know these hollywood producers they they really capitalized on you know the fear that people had uh, then you know, then you start having the space race. So they capitalized off of right. you know that as well. And you know, it, it's just like anything. Just like today, you know, whatever the the social zeitgeist is, you know, that's what the the movies start playing off of because that's what you know the people yeah. want. Did that so all I, start I in that. Japan with the Godzilla thing or no? Well, Godzilla definitely started due to the you know the atomic bombs right. and all that. But, but no, it. it it, it uh, I, I believe it definitely started it in Hollywood because it was, you know, the big uh, production company right. at, at the, you know, they, that's where they had all the big production companies, right. you know, Universal and all the Poverty Row, you know, companies. So they were just pumping out sci-fi right. stuff because, you know, people, they, you know, you're just coming off of, you know, the Great Depression, you know, a few years, few decades after that. And so, you know, people were looking for work and. Right. You know, they were just pumping out movies, were these whether movies they were cheap. Good or bad. Were they cheap to make? Was that a big issue? They could knock them out quick. So you know, some of them were, and, and you, some of them were, you know, big budget productions. It's just it all depends on you know the production company. If you were a big name production right. company like Universal, you know, yeah, you had the backing for it. But if you were, you know, some type of poverty row, you know, fly by night company, you you know, you had a few bucks, and a lot of those directors at the time were known as one take directors you know whether you got it right or not they took one take and that was it you know moved on because you you had such a low budget and you know you didn't have much money for good actors or or for good special effects or for you know even a good writer so you you know you kind of worked with with what you so the creature from the black lagoon was a like a low budget movie no that would have actually been a a more of a a high i guess maybe a a, a, you could consider it a medium budget or (laughs) something for the for the time i there was a lot of money that was definitely put in the suit and all that and the um um you know the different backdrops and all that but it was you know pretty simply made for mm. for that time yes yeah, so it wouldn't have been too much nothing like you know today where they're pumping oh, out yeah. hundreds of dollars what year did Creek come out there 1954 was the uh, the original. Because okay, I'm thinking about even like King Kong going back to 1933 as being a real early, you know, kind of monster movie, and that looks low budget, but that was a pretty big budget film with all that <clears> stop motion <throat> animation and all the special effects they developed for that. Oh, ab- absolutely. I mean, when you start getting into stop motion, I mean, you're, you know, even though it may be, 
you know, very simple designs and all that, you got to look at, you know, the time that those special effects people are putting into it because you have to pay them for their time. And, you know, as we all know, you know, stop motion takes a very long time to, you know, just get a minute's worth yeah. of uh, are those footage. puppets so or their hand drawings, drawings, the stop motion. No, they're all they're all kind of like um, three dimensional like, art articulated figures. Yeah, they had like kind of like a uh, a metal uh, skeleton, and then they would put you know clay, you know maybe some hair and right, some clothing right. over them, and you know they would move them very slightly, oh, stop, take a picture, move it slightly again, and yeah, it was very tedious work. <laughs> so you, you know it's. It's funny you guys are talking about that, and I, uh, Jeff uh, was telling me that he's a certified uh, diver. Is this correct, Jeff? That is correct. Have you ever seen the creature from the <laughs> Black Lagoon? That? <laughs> That's what we want to know. I, I think I'm going to see it if I start diving in the Hudson River. Now. <laughs> this is a very high end discussion here. <laughs> you might see some different stuff in the Hudson River. I don't know if it's. <laughs> is anybody listening to us tonight? <laughs> well you you go all um, the way back i mean you have similar issues with area 51 so you never know what you're going to get jeff jeff what was the uh, what was the craziest thing that you seen or discovered while while diving have you come across anything chasing i i really was excited about chasing after this long fish you know it was pretty exciting you know and until the captain said leave the barracuda alone <laughs> you know so you, you kind of you grow up quick you know if they don't want to be bothered leave them alone yeah Jeff, when you dive do you have a spear gun or some protection or yeah I, they're fins so i can swim away as fast as possible okay. it's a fight or flight and he chooses you the flight you, you know yeah you want to weigh yourself down with all of this ammunition that you, you don't swim with sharks do you I tried to, but you know it doesn't work too well. <laughs> Have you ever seen Todd riding a sea monkey down there? <laughs> like, no, I've, I've been looking I've for sea monkeys, but I mean, you know, usually they're just on the kitchen counter. I don't have to go no, no, he, he, Here's the best part, Jeff. The best part is that Todd has been developing. I said what he calls the invisible goldfish. So try to see if you ever see one of them down there. Well, I think he's doing a really good job with it. Could you sell an invisible goldfish? Eddie could sell it. He could sell anything. No. Yeah, yeah, really. Eddie would, Eddie would make millions off of it. Well, I need to get one well, of those top... submarines oh to God. find Forget it. about it. You'll never get that Eddie, submarine. Eddie, you have any submarines? Hey, hey Jeff. dying here. Yeah, we... will get it. Jeff, now that we have Todd on here, we, we have this we we have to tell you this story that uh, that th- this little kind of prank that Eddie did to us and I'm sure Todd knows what we're oh, talking gosh. about so Eddie from time to time will send us packages of you know of, of collectible stuff or books you know toys or whatever so i get one day a box you know nice size you know nice size box and it says house of the unusable on it instead of unusual i'm like okay you know what is this and i pick up the box and like Man, this feels really light. I'm like, what the heck could be in here? I, I you know I'm shaking it. I, I don't hear anything. I'm like, what the heck could he have put in here that's so light? So I, you know, I, I cut it open. I'm like, well, maybe it's some paper stuff. You know, maybe you know a photo or you know some old papers or something. So I, you know, I gingerly, you know, cut the box open and open it. I, you know, I don't want to mess anything up. So I go rip through, you know, take out the paper, the packaging. There's nothing in the box. He sent me an empty oh. box. There's two. I think what <laughs> happened is. He also sent Todd an <laughs> empty box. Yeah. There, there's two Eddies. There's the nice Eddie and the bad Eddie. That was the bad Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> you must have done something to upset him. <laughs> Eddie, what was the reason? What, what was the reason behind the empty box? Well, <laughs> Well, you know how they, they always say there's a mystery behind everything, and there's nothing more than intriguing than when you open a box and you think it's a mystery, what's inside. So if you don't get anything, you basically have to wait for the next box to come in. I just wanted to cause the fun part of how you guys like to receive things by the mail. 
And I figured, you know, this is going to be a good one. I know I had you guys, but you never got into this day. So, that, that I mean, you Todd, on Yelp. What, well, Todd, Todd let, me, let me get this correct, Todd. I, I believe you're working on a film. So did you introduce that to the film? What's that? Did you introduce the empty box to the film? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or did yeah, you tell no, them about uh, it? <laughs> yeah, I've I, I've talked about the empty box quite a bit. I have to say, <laughs> I, you still have it. I still have it. It's still empty. I threw mine right in the trash. I said, "You know what? This is where it goes." <laughs> 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 <I was> so, <laughs> hey, hey, you you know you know something? We're talking about. It's so funny because we started talking about the creature and everything, and. I, I probably Jeff knows this, and maybe I know Dr. Boyaji might know, but you know, there were two people as actors. One of them would go under the ocean, and the other guy was just on top. So you, you had the two actors. Um, then you also had, there was a movie that was done in the early 70s, I mean, 60s or 50s, called The Atomic Submarine. And it became popular right after the Atomic Age began with, you know, what, what Joe had said. The Atomic Submarine was such a low-budget film that when they showed the submarine, you can actually see a, a, a thin, very thin stick underneath <laughs> the submarine as it travels to the water. Yeah, that was in 59 that but came a, out. <laughs> if it, well, that's a, that's a pretty good film, to be honest with you. It's not bad. It's just that the, the graphics are... Who was in are, that movie? Gosh, I missed man. that. Just like... Um, yeah, I'm looking. I'm uh, looking at yeah. right now. Arthur Franz was the one of the main characters, and uh, Dick Ferran, Brett Hazley. So, so it doesn't seem like there was really any any big names in it. But they had a budget of 135 thousand. So, <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't wasn't nothing too big. I'm sure that stick cost probably a majority of the budget. <laughs> well, well, even the first Superman when he takes off, the very first Superman before George Reeves. You could see a stick as he's flying through the air. I mean, that's really like the cheapest. When was that in the thirties? This first really Superman. Get. Now, I don't remember. No, I think well, I know that 40s. they used to use when he would fly. They would quickly transition it to like a, a cartoon drawing, and uh, had like the cartoon flying. And then when it would look like it land, they would have the the actor you know jumping from a platform to make it look like you know Superman's. Landing, but I tell you what's with some good special effects on flying. If anyone ever sees the uh, um, Captain Marvel uh, serial, I, I can't remember what year it was. I believe it was the '40s. But the Lidecker brothers did the um, uh, the special effects, and they they had this. They actually had uh, a life size dummy, and they put one string on one end of a canyon, and another on the other, and they had this dummy going down it. And I tell you what, it looks it looks beautiful. It, it looks like somebody's actually flying. I mean, it's really cool to see what someone could do with, you know, a low budget was just amazing. Well, one of the things I'm going to say, especially uh, like, you know, when we were talking about diving and stuff like that, uh, Jeff, you in particular, have you ever gone like diving for uh, you yes. know, lost treasure or any of that stuff and and you know i'm just kind of curious because we were talking about that when we when you were hearing the podcast uh with uh alan on that he was one of the divers for the uh the famous uh antorcha gold no i've gone down about 125 feet um uh, but i haven't gone to uh for fun any real discoveries at this point it's more uh, that's recreational, and it's still amazing what you have when you have the uh, sunken well the th artifacts that are below for many many years. But I can't imagine, uh, like you said, with I, I, I think it'd be amazing to dive. I mean, it, it's got to be like a whole different universe amazing. down there. I mean, from what we can't see. Yeah. Where do you go diving, Jeff? It... Yeah. Well, that, that's where they uh, found the Antorcha, along was the Florida actually 60, Keys. 60 feet of water off the Florida Keys. So it, it was, I mean, was there for 400 years and nobody found it until 1985 when Mel Fisher found it. But, you know, I think it was actually before 85 they found it, but in 1985 they started bringing it up. Uh, one of the things that also leads to that is that when you have anything with diving and stuff like that, 
Um, you know, when you said Area 51 before that you mentioned, and I just wanted to bring up the topic, did any of you guys recently heard about two to three weeks ago, one of the, I believe it was American Airlines or Delta, uh, one of the pilots actually saw two things happen. Back in October, they saw off of Kennedy Airport or something, some guy flying in some type of space suit, 3,000 feet in the air. And the FBI was looking into it because it was seen by a couple of the pilots. But the other thing that was kind of crazy is that they, they saw an actual flying saucer and it came out in the news about three weeks ago. Have any of you guys heard anything on that? No, I haven't heard anything. I haven't seen. I think you mentioned it to me when we spoke last week, but I haven't heard anything else about it. Did you hear, Jeff, anything on it? Jeff? Maybe he's disconnected. Jeff, <laughs> I haven't heard anything it's, on it. It seems connected. Oh, did you hear anything about that? Oh, I'm here. <laughs> I didn't oh, hear okay, anything no, about no, it. I, 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 I thought we lost you there for a second. I said maybe one of those diving expeditions might have the taken Artificial it. intelligence is um, taking over. <laughs> no, I'm, no, I was no, looking I, for my boss. I was going to say that they actually said, and, and this was in uh, on television in, in WOR, uh, and um, I think it was in um, in ten ten winces when I heard it that the there was an actual this happened about three weeks ago that the airplane pilot said that there was a flying saucer flying above and on the side of the plane at thirty thousand feet and and it was you know it made the news so it was official it's kind of like when they uh, they came out officially saying that the you know the United States has been looking into the flying saucer you know enigma and they even started a new what's the name of the new um chapter what for on know? mufon is it mufon no it's oh, not I, that, I, that, that I don't know i didn't hear if there was a new chapter you know, if they i mean they're always different stuff to it they have yeah but they have a new group of people that study flying saucers is it called aerial phenomenon? Unknown aerial exactly phenomenon, UAP. By, they have a new. It goes by now. Yeah, because yes, a lot UAPs, of people were sending in um, our right. Freedom of Information Act requests and uh, asking about UFOs and you know giving specific dates and asking for you know unidentified flying objects and they were getting rejected because now the government's calling them unidentified aerial phenomenon. So if you send in a a FOIA request, you have to ask for unidentified aerial phenomenons in order to get it back. Because if you send in for UFO, you know, more than likely they'll they'll deny the, the request. So it's typical government work, you know, especially with UFOs, they, you know, some word play. So that way they could kind of circumvent the, you know, the disclosure of information. I kind of think, you know, they're supposed to be, what was that, after 180 days, they're supposed to disclose a bunch of information on UFOs. But from a lot that I've been reading about that is it's going to be very mundane stuff and it's going to be nothing that's going to like blow people's minds. It's going to be enough to uh, kind of like maybe wet, wet the appetite of some people Call and maybe the quench the appetite of, of others, but it's nothing going to be. Mm. Which, Eddie, you know, where was this pilot? Where did he see this? Like it was over the Midwest. Uh, I, I I don't know if it was over the Midwest. I know the guy that they saw in a rocket belt was over either LaGuardia or Kennedy. And it and it was I mean it was serious enough that the FBI took into what was into the guy doing? That they were doing like some investigations on it. because uh, he No no no, he oh, was flying with a jetpack and the yeah. pilot of a, of one of the big airlines saw him. No, you can't he was do that. Up with like thirty thousand feet in the me? air. So that, that well, that's what that's why the that's what's weird. You know, about I'm, it. And they started. I'm looking at right now. They said Google that pilot this. reports seeing a man on a jetpack near Los Angeles Airport, second time this year, and it's saying that uh, his plane was about six thousand feet up, and that the um, that the jetpack was approximately three thousand feet. Oh, well, there so you that, go. that's that's pretty high. I mean. <laughs> How high can a jetpack okay. go? I I don't. You know what? 
Doc, I I don't know. You know we we I think we had a a conversation about this on one of the other podcasts about jetpacks and all that. And you know, when we talk about technology and everything, and a lot of people, excuse me, say, you know, what we know about the government is twenty five years, you know, ahead of us in technology. But you know, a lot of other people say that it's, you know, anywhere from fifty to a hundred or more years ahead of us. So. You know, we could be seeing somebody with a jetpack that could go to 3,000 feet, and, you know, they may have technology of a jetpack that could go in space. I mean, you, you never know. There was They used to have a jetpack on, remember, on Lost in Space? Well, one Profe- what was his name? Professor Robinson? He was flying around yeah. on the jetpack. <laughs> uh, let, me, uh, let me tell you about Lost in Space. I just got the DVD set, and it's remastered. Yeah. And he was out in space with his jetpack, and you could clearly see every every wire connected to him and, and everything with the, with the remastered one. I mean, it, it's funny. Yeah, I mean, you could. You I mean, it me? is clear as day that you could see all, all the wires, and I mean, it, it's still you know it is what it is for the time. But yeah, anytime they're in space or on their jetpacks, you could clearly see you the, know, jet the wires. Pack was never real. <laughs> Wish it was. Maybe yeah, it was. No, there was one episode where he's, somebody got lost and he went out looking for him, but he actually was in a jetpack. It wasn't fake. I don't. I don't know. Maybe. It, maybe it wasn't. No, there was one episode. Well, it was an early on where somebody got lost and they had the I, chariot, and he took the jetpack and he went looking. But I think Will Robinson got lost. Well, the the, the problem with jetpacks is back in the day when they had the jetpacks is that they couldn't last more than 30 seconds. In other words, it would work, right. but the fuel will burn out within 30 seconds. And that's why you made it, I'm, I don't know, three minutes maybe. It didn't make it feasible for the Army or anybody to use it. It's been around now. It's, it's funny that we're talking about this, because one time I ran an ad in Popular Mechanics back in the late 80s, and it was for a jetpack. And one of the guys who sent away for the jetpack, I'm sorry, not, not Popular Mechanic, you know, on eBay early late nineties, actually, uh, the guy buys the, the thing. I send them the plans, which are legitimate plans, but the cost would be almost a million dollars to put together. <laughs> so the guy wanted his money back. Cause he said, that he must be the, the guy with the treasure map that's looking for you, Eddie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wants his money back. Yeah. Eddie, oh Eddie sent me God. a treasure map and I still have yet to find treasure. So I, I don't know what, what he, I'm going to do. It might be he has enemies out there. He doesn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> Give it to Jeff. Maybe Jeff, now with his bag, he can find it over the Florida. <laughs> I, I'm still looking for my box. Well, well, so, I hope you don't get a box from Eddie because yeah, it might just be yeah. Eddie. You guys did something to tick him off. That's why he sent that to you. He's he's very vindictive when he gets upset at you. No. <laughs> I, I guess so, man. I, I've never seen that side of him. You know? I haven't known him that long. <laughs> but uh hey uh jeff since you're you're the newcomer uh, on on here and uh have you ever gotten into any of like the because you know we talk about magic and, and mail order novelties uh I, I don't know how old you are but we're when you were younger did you ever get into any of the mail order uh stuff like from the comic books or or magazines oh definitely i mean that was Right up there. I mean, I was born in the early 60s, so that was, I'm probably older than most of you gentlemen. Um, everything from the x-ray glasses and everything to the back of the comic books, of course. Yeah, yeah, he so, got, got some good stuff. That, that's I, where Eddie I, I recently got a pair of the, the x-ray glasses what? that I've been wanting, you know, since the 80s, and they're, they lived up to, to all the hype, I guess. <laughs> Uh, what year were you born now, Jeff? Well, Eddie was born in the 40s, so I think he got all of us. Oh, yeah. Eddie should have been born 20 years before he was. He would have been the king then. <laughs> he put them all out of business. It's oh interesting you talk God. about the back of the magazine. The, we all lived, I lived in that fantasy so, world. You'd see that stuff and it was unbelievable. Then you'd start thinking about it and then you'd go into some kind of fantasy about it. Yeah. So yeah, it really stoked your imagination. 
Absolutely. Doc, what was your favorite? Uh, did you have a favorite oh, oh, mail here's order what item? It was. there was this watch and it was a it was like an imitation chronograph. It had like three dials on it. And I wanted this watch. My mother said, that's a piece of junk. You can't have it. I never got the watch. It looked like a uh, it was like a pilot's watch and it had a leather strap. I always wanted this watch. I couldn't have it. So um, I got obsessed with watches later on. And I, now I have a few of real ones, but uh, I never got that watch. Probably if I did, it would have been a disappointment. So, <laughs> hey, uh, Jeff, did you did you have a favorite mail order item that you either had or that you always wanted? Oh yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, you know, back then you wanted one of each, so you know you you never could get enough. But oh yeah, I, I really think. Oh, I mean, oh Eddie, yeah. that's there you. Go. I always want <laughs> Eddie got submarine. the submarine. <laughs> well, the, I love the thing is, Doctor Boyajian too wanted piece of the junk. First, uh, that's right, all doctor, cardboard. Right, you can't have it. Just stop wasting your time, and then she'd start thinking about it more because you couldn't have it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, well, the, the thing is, you know what's so funny about the submarine? That the submarine has become an obsession to a lot of people. Uh, in fact, uh, I believe, according to what everything has been concluded, that probably I'm the only one that has one left probably in the world. Um, mine is still unbuilt in its original condition. And people have been tracking every collector that I know of for the last 40, 50 years for even photographs of it. When I started doing the unboxing, which a lot of people gave me thumbs down because they wanted me to build it. And I'm like, why would I build something? You only have one. And, you know, um, I've been offered a lot of money for that, including, you know, the possibility of appearing in Pawn Stars, where I told Rick I would want about 50000 yeah, The best I could do is 10 bucks. And uh, then the COVID <laughs> kind of threw it off the... Ten bucks. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, Todd, I, I can't remember if we asked you, have you always well, been the... into... The sea monkeys, or was there a different mail order item that you, you know, really liked as a kid, or one that you always wanted that that never had? I can't, I, I don't remember if we no, ever discussed that. No, it was sea that. monkeys for me all the way. That was the ad that really captured my imagination, and um, you know, I uh, I sent away and I waited by the mailbox for I don't know a good couple of months, and I got them and I was disappointed and I tried them and they failed and I was still excited. And so I just kept trying and I've been trying for the past five decades. <laughs> yep. <laughs> hey, uh, Todd, <laughs> with the, uh, the invisible goldfish, is it any time soon? Now, you're laughing, but yes, just we're, we're actually coming out with invisible goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, but I, that's what I'm asking. When only you guys could come up with something like that? Because I think <laughs> no, no, no. Well, he, here, here's the thing. I, I know Todd is here, but he promised to send them to me, and I don't know if he did because I could have gotten them in that box. box. That empty box. Back to you, the box. Yeah, that's good. No, here's, <laughs> let me go. Here's the background on invisible goldfish. Well. Uh, the, Harold von Braun, he, his, he came out with sea monkeys in 1960, and he was having trouble getting anybody to be interested in them. And so uh, retailers, you know, were saying like, yeah, I don't know. We, we don't really believe this is, you know. And so he, he, so he thought to himself, he's like, well, I'll give them something that, you know, guaranteed that they won't be able to see. So he created this product called Invisible Goldfish. That was 1966. And it comes with a little fishbowl and the, you know, all, all of the little components. And um, it, I have to say, it didn't do very well. It wasn't out for a very long time. Um, but now that you, his wife, Yolanda, is at the helm, we're going to reissue Invisible Goldfish for the first time since 1966. It's called Invisible Goldfish 2.0. And uh, it, has, it's, it hasn't launched on the website yet, but very soon you'll be able to go to seamonkeys.com and buy your very own Invisible Goldfish. Well, let me, let me give uh, Jeff, if you don't, you're not aware of it, Harold Van Brohud was the guy who invented the Sea Monkeys, and he probably has over 200 um, patents to his name, and he also invented the X-ray glasses. 
And he's been selling sea monkeys and x-ray glasses till he passed away many, many years ago, <laughs> where he found out he found Todd as a baby <laughs> in his pool. And he figured, you know, he saw some scales on him, and, and that's when Todd took over the empire. So well, I, I see I understand what he does. So you have to buy the x-ray glasses in order to see the invisible goldfish. Yeah. Well, Tom, that could be a that could be a package right there, man. Now I understand why I never saw them. It is so funny about it that people don't believe Todd when I tell them that the sea monkeys are still a six million dollar year business. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm a little confused. My sea monkeys work. You know, I watched them every day and they swam I don't know, my, my Todd sent me mine and mine looked like a day or two and then they were gone. So I, they were defective. Well, you, you, you know, let me tell you, t- talking about being vindictive and stuff, Todd knows I love everything from sunken treasures and that. He sends everybody a free gift of sea monkeys and he sends... Uh, he sends Alan down in California and his daughter, one with a sunken pirate ship. And he sends me one that's just plain. I mean, all I could do was look at that and like, you know. Like Charlie Brown. I got a rock. Like, really? Why couldn't I? You know what? You know what, Jeff? Jeff, when I was little and I was, I had my first sea monkeys, it didn't do too well. But I did. Uh, I, I kind of cheated because I went to a, a, a fish store over in Washington Heights, New York, where I grew up. And when I got to the food store, this was really funny. I mean, the fish store. I asked the guy and I said, hey, <laughs> do you have sea monkeys? And the guy goes, yes, I do. And it was Brian Shrimp. But he gave them to me for 50 cents on a little plastic container that they were fully grown. And there were like a thousand of them in there. So I went home and dumped them into my feet, sea monkey thing. And, and I had them. And, you know, I had them for years. Um, I did try to grow when my son was very small. I bought him a set and we were doing it. And then my wife was washing or something and she knocked it on the floor and she filled it with water and put it back up. And I didn't know. So I'm saying, why am I sea monkey? Invisible sea monkeys. And then my brother-in-law did the same thing. Mm. What, what did it yeah, come in? A small but, packet? Like you but ripped they it do open? work. I mean, yeah, I think what happened with Joe. Easy like a little packet. Yeah, you, you, you start uh, with the water purifier. You purify the water. And it adds kind of a salt content to it. And then packet number two is, is the actual sea monkey eggs. And then they hatch instantly and will continue hatching over the next three weeks. And then packet number three is the growth food and you feed them weekly. And, uh, this is bringing back memories. I didn't remember it, but I think I got them at one point. Yeah, I remember ripping open a little packet. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, uh, The product has, it didn't start out very good, but it has gotten, they've really honed the ingredients on that. And uh, what, what are they actually? It's a shrimp, a form of shrimp? Yeah, it's uh, brine shrimp or well, Artemia salina. I guess we all did this. I, I don't remember it, but I guess coming back now, yeah, probably we did get them. It's all it's no, all what, going back to you, to Doc. It's what, all what coming back? <laughs> what they no? Yeah. What they what they're used for, Doc? What they're used for is fish. A lot of fish right. stores grow them to feed goldfish and to feed the fish. Because it's kind of like a live, right. it's kind of like if you have a lizard and you feed them um, crickets, it's the same thing. That's what it does. Now, what Harold did, though, I think what made Harold a legend in his time is that basically Harold <laughs> sounds like one of your friends. You <laughs> oh and what he did, though, is <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was definitely a, a friend of mine. Well, at yeah. least I remember <laughs> when I told him at the time when I first met him. Oh, he he definitely sat me down in the chair and gave me the 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 you know the runaround. But um, what happened is that yeah, the picture in the comic book is what sold it. Whoever came out with the idea of of making a a, a sea monkey look like it was like little characters <laughs> and they were going to go and then when they said you can train them and what it is is they they react to light mm-hmm. and if you take a flashlight they actually all follow the light in a dark room. 
It's it's really weird the yeah, way they do it. Too. You know Peter, what? It looked like a seahorse. The advertisement looked like a seahorse or no? Yeah, yeah I, I did think... those. I got those. So no. there was another one with the seahorse, no? Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, but I never got those because seahorses are boring. Yeah, they Eddie, just Eddie let me ask water, you something. Do Does, the people that listen to your um, show, they're all in you know, our generation, or do you think there's a younger audience out there too? Hey, listen, guys. You have no I'm 12 the youngest year old one here in the crowd, the so yeah, it's more like a, the generation of you guys. Yeah, I, I wonder. That, that's interesting. <laughs> I wonder if we if we do, and I wonder oh, if you know if there's a younger generation listening to us and. It's it's inspired them to, you know, look into mail order novelties or even to uh, like uh, sea monkeys. So, uh, Todd, my question for you would be, do you guys see like a, a lot of like younger people getting the sea monkeys or is it mostly people trying to relive their, their childhood that that places the orders with well, you guys? Yeah. Well, Very to be honest too, with you, I think the younger generation you know, they, um, needs to um, learn how to read a You know, it's interesting because 60 years and Sea Monkeys have never been off the market. So it's sort of one of those products that has just continued to reinvent itself to appeal to whatever the current generation is. So um, Dragon Eye Toys, they're the ones that do the mass market products. Uh, they sell the kits to retail stores and things like that. So that's really the big bulk of the business. And then what Yolanda does at uh, the Montrose Farm is more cottage industry things that she does mail order. And so that's where we're doing the things like magic sand and invisible goldfish and um, things. You know, I I think what it is, a lot of things is parents see it and buy it for their children. That's when that I think answers your question, uh, Robert, Uh, because the thing with that is, is when you have, um, let's say me, I go and I, I see it, I buy it for my grandson. And, and that's the situation. But the honest truth is, when you look at the analytics of our show, oh, all right. it's between the ages of 35 and 62. And then we have, uh, th- that's 80% of the watchers. The other 20 are over the age of 65. And then there's like a 5% segment between 30 and, and, and 40, right. which falls again, like, because I guess the youngest uh, person here is Joe. And and you see, this is what I said to Joe. I, I forgot if I told you, Dr. Boyajin, or, or I mean, Robert, or who I did, but right. Joe and Kirk Demaris, who wrote the book Mail Order Mysteries, that sold over a million plus copies, those two things... Right. Oh, those two guys were born in the early 80s right. <clears throat> at the end of the mail order uh, generation. And they got into comic books. They got comic. They wanted to order their oh. stuff. And then apparently they got a letter saying it's out of business because it was just a couple of years prior to that, that they were still in business. Me, myself being 58, you know, uh, Doc, you're what, 65 now going to turn and and you got tired with a 62, whatever. <laughs> and you're basically. In half. I'll be 65 in June, technically. I'm 62. still 64. I don't know. You want to know something? Yeah, don't get, don't push it too I, I far. Yeah. Like I'm 18, okay. though. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, well, Todd's been feeling eighteen no, I, ever that's since. Right, and I think that's why I think that's why people I mean, they, of our generation—I mean, they call it a midlife crisis—but you do kind of reach a point where you you uh, kind of try to recapture some of those moments from your childhood, and uh, you know what it is. That's the only time in your life you're truly happy. You have no responsibilities. You do whatever you want. You have a good time. Nobody tells you what to do. Yeah, that's it. After that, it's just responsibility day after day. So that's why you look back on it. Well, and the other thing is, is back then, like you were saying earlier on the on the show, um, the parents had the control. They really they really monitored the purse strings. So you might want something, but getting the money out of them to order it, you know, w- was near impossible sometimes. So uh, but now that you know, so when you're an adult and you have your own uh, disposable income. You can buy whatever you want. Right. You know what? You know what's funny about that, Todd, is I and I tell my wife this all the time. I said, you know, back, you know, before I I met her, and I was maybe in my 
mid twenties or so. There's times where, you know, I, I was still, you know, working several jobs part time, you know, doing security and bartending, you know, whatever I could do to, you know, pay the bills. And I would have, you know, some extra money, say an extra 50, 100 bucks or so. And I would, you know, look at my refrigerator and say, man, I have no food, but man, there's some comic books I want. Do I want to spend it on food or comic books? And, you know, I went hungry for you know, yeah. some days. You know, some would call that a passion. Some would say it's insanity. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit above. Well, Eddie's <laughs> been doing that since he got married. Yeah. You know, you know what? Yeah, he he's just still did that this doing it. The boxes I, are I still think... coming to his house. <laughs> you know what? The best thing is I can tell you guys is put by one person, a good friend of ours, which is goes by the name of Dr. Saab. Uh basically is the one that sent me an email that I think he worded the event the best possible way. In the email, he put here this one phrase. He put, I have enjoyed our conversations about mail order, the mail order world and items we cherish from our childhood. I also enjoyed being part of House of the Unusual Forum, battering whatever with you, Todd and Joe. Somehow, here's the part. Somehow it magically, bring, magically brings me back to my childhood days when the only responsibility I had yeah. was being a kid with an enormous imagination. Okay. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And, and it brings us back to that day when we all we No, no, no. On, it was one of those old black telephones your, with all the buttons. Your dad's on it. cell phone or something. And I, and, and I turned you. it into a spaceship, like the control panel for a spaceship. <laughs> and I would hit the red buttons. <laughs> one was for takeoff, one's for landing, one's for, uh, you know, flying in space. And you create a whole world about that. Well, we know what you're doing tonight, Doc. I told don't my we? daughters about this. That, that's so cute. I remember. <laughs> I, I took, let me put it the honest way. I remember when I was like eight years old, I took a, I forgot what, a box. I, I forgot if it was a box from whatever. And I cut a door out of it, and I remember making it into a spaceship, a car, a bus. I would have my cousin, where my grandmother used to take care of my cousin sometimes, and she would ride in back of the car. It's, I mean, we had such imaginations without any video games, without any television. Because, I mean, back then, you did see TV. You saw Warner Brothers, you know, Bucks Bunny. Oh, and, With and his bag stuff. of tricks. But one of my favorite yeah. ones was Felix the Cat. And the reason I used to like Felix the Cat was, yeah, but remember when he used to have all the space uh, travel videos that he would always go with Dr. Um, I forgot, Dr. Rock Bottom or something like that. They would go out into space. And then there was this thing called the Master Cylinder, which looked like a can that had big eyes. He, he had some bag. He had a bag of tricks, You know, right? that was very fascinating for me as a kid. I created and my, my own bag of tricks. Evolved. I would carry that around. Yeah, he could me. take anything out of the bag. He could convert it into a space. <laughs> I did too, Doc. <laughs> I did too. You want me to tell you something? I remember that those two. In the car. They had a car. Later on in Courageous Cat and Minute Mouse. What? Yeah, remember? And yeah, but he would take out of this bag all sorts of different guns, weapons, a gun for everything. And the way I would make that gun is yeah. I would take clay and model the, the clay after the gun from Courageous Cat. But I mean, that's we just have. Well, I used the to use the uh, uh, what are those the, the Pringles simple. cans? We, and I would cut the bottoms out and use them as my robot arms <laughs> as a kid. Honestly, you know what it was then? There wasn't much going on. There wasn't a lot of bad things. It was like an age of innocence. It was after post World War II. There was no wars going on, so it was kind of this tranquil period in America, and everybody had a job. Everything was stable. You. I, you know what? I don't know if that if you could say there was not things going on. I mean, in the seventies, growing up, and we just York, didn't know about it as a kid. We just bankrupt your own little universe. What? What? I, right. That's what I'm saying. We just lit. Right. We lived because there was not that much news. I mm. mean, when you were a kid and you got on television, and they talked about somebody kidnapping a kid or something, that was like the only news you heard for the next month. Uh, you know, we, we remember killers like the son of Sam and all that stuff that, I mean, I, I was living in New York at the time and I remember all that stuff. 
But that kind of scared you. But I guess at the same time, there was a world of innocence where you lived basically your life revolved. If you started reading a comic book, you were able to emerge or immense yourself yeah. into that comic book uh, and oh, become yeah. part of like if it was a movie. Like I remember right. reading Richie Rich and Casper, and I I thought I was inside the you know the damn comic book. It was fascinating. I would every night before going to bed, I would read them, and anytime I would order something in the mail, the thing that that I loved the most was the fact. And this is what people tell me today, Eddie. It's not what you're selling, product is, but the unknown, the 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 mystery behind what you expected and didn't get. But you made mm. in your mind. Oh, me, me and Todd can tell the people what we didn't what get. You, you, <laughs> get. <laughs> you know, Eddie keeps talking. He could oh, sell I, you anything because I'm ready to buy something from him. I don't even know what he's talking about. <laughs> he, he, he's got an empty box for you. He'll sell it to you. It's a low, low price at fifty nine ninety. Holy smokes, Eddie! You could sell anything. You're in the wrong field. <laughs> No, but I, I will say, because uh, I grew up in the middle of the country where there was nothing going on. I mean, so if for for me, and I think for most people from our generation, though, if we if we were going to be entertained, we had to entertain ourselves. There was nothing that, you know, they couldn't like park you in front of a video game or there was no place that you could go to be entertained. You had to come up with your own entertainment, be that, you know, riding your bike or going to the pond or reading a comic book or drawing pictures. Um, and I, we've lost a lot of that over the years. Well, that's interesting. Once you get a bicycle, then you have transportation. Then you could really start getting into trouble and doing things. Right, right. You, you know something interesting? Uh, Robert and myself grew up in an area that were very, even though I grew up in Manhattan, my, this is my suburb aunt, of New York. I uh, was up in the Paramus area since the 1940s, and we would come. Well, no, New, oh, right. Northern no, New we, Jersey. We used to go up in, Par in New York. No, Paramus. We were really a suburb of, with 10 minutes outside of the city. Uh, oh, yeah. Basically, so what happened is. We used to go to a store named Two Guys. Now, I don't know if it, out in the Midwest they might have had Two Guys. Two Guys, the owners of Two Guys are what today is called Vernado Industries. So Vernado LLC, what is LTD, which is the largest land holdings in the, the world or the country. They, they, Vernado owns a lot of the malls. Well, they started, the original owners that are still, I think one of them is still alive, or the two, were two Jewish brothers. And they started two guys. Back at the time, they realized that there was more money in land by you know leasing the land than there was with a five and dime store. But two guys in the early 60s and 70s always used to have a little section that had video games and like where well, you could play. What were those things called? Those pool tables? Remember foosball? Uh, foosball? That you threw the ball for 10 cents, you would put it in. Oh, like ball, air hockey. Ski ball. No, that the one that we played in uh, when we were little. We oh, used to ski go to ball. Guys. No, not air hockey. They oh, had you throw the, the ball. Bowling. It was like a bowling, bowling alley thing. at an angle. Yeah. It was oh, ski right. ball, right? Remember, you used to take the ball. Right. 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 Well, Eddie and was we from New York. I'm from New Jersey, but we grew up in the same place because we went would to be the there same store. Start talking about that. We all did the same thing. I guess as kids, you did the same thing. So he really grew up. His life was really in New Jersey. We didn't know each other. Now, Doc, exactly. did you, did oh, no, you no, know no, him no. as, a, as a child? He was in the hospital. And then you start talking to him and you get dragged <laughs> oh, okay. into I, I didn't know. stuff. And this is 30 years later. <laughs> I, I, didn't know if he, I didn't know if he tried to sell you stuff. You know, he would see you at the arcade and try to oh, sell no, you, you know, know some, some magical <laughs> this was later on. fish. Or... <laughs> well, late game is like, 30 he's still doing the same stuff now he was doing 30 years ago. <laughs> Just having like a good time. You had like a little gang of friends <laughs> no, and all. He, 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 well, here's the funny thing. It's it's probably a little over 30, a lot over 30. But one time in the hospital, they asked me um, if I could display my collection. So here's, I mean, I always went to Dr. You know, to Robert and the office, my wife. Uh, we always went to see him as, you know, my medical doctor. But always a very serious individual, you know, always businesslike. 
they became a five to bring back again. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. You talk about comics. I never thought about this. Why you read them? Because it takes you into a fantasy world. Yeah. I remember that. It did. It did me. In fact, my favorite was oh, Richie right, right, Rich right. and Casper. And then I started reading the Archies because, you know, the Archies was kind of like, you, you know, one time you Eddie, you were talking about something. You said, you well, the like box the is worth guy. more than the toy. It was very fascinating. Said, How could a box be worth anything? That part I never understood. That's oh, there's, the there's boxes. I mean, you know, uh, of collectibles that people pay top dollar for just the boxes, especially if it's in, you know, great condition because yeah. they're, they're harder to find. You know, a lot of people kept Who the would toys keep and the box, though? The box. Nobody would keep a box. Yeah, they're very, very rare. That's that's why they said they're so highly collectible. Right yeah. now, right now, and we know Todd had the famous Lost in Space robot from the 60s. Todd, the Lost in Space robot there was one selling on eBay about yeah. two weeks ago for 140 bucks. I think it went for 240 just the end. Well, the same thing with yeah, the comics. Who would buy a comic crazy. and not rip it up to pieces? Who would and, have a mint condition comic? It's just like it doesn't make any sense. Well, th this is kind of crazy. As we had Alan in one of the previous, Alan is uh, Jeff, he's the, the treasure guy, the diver. Right. We had him in one of the uh, recent shows, and he was saying how back in 1985, 86, he had, uh, I think it was Action Comics number 10 or something, and he had um, a bunch of yeah, expensive one that he sold the whole collection for 6000 including the Fantastic Four number one. I think he had Hulk one. And then he says, Eddie, right now, when I look oh, back, yeah, I he, see that each of them are worth like a hundred thousand. But that's like with baseball go. cards too. I mean, who didn't get baseball <laughs> cards or football cards and okay. you know stick them on their bike to make some noise? You know, and now they're worth. You know, a lot of them are worth. You know, a lot of money. Same thing with comic books. You rolled them up, put them in your back pocket, or you know, your buddy said, "Hey, I caught a frog." You're like, "Well, I'll trade you this comic to check a look at the frog." And you know, something stupid like that. You know, who would have known as a kid? But obviously, you know, there was. You know, people that that save their stuff for one Who reason or, stuff, or like another. Who had that owned the store that you know, sold the comics, or like uh, just a fanatic person or something? We got to remember that. I mean, people have been collecting for decades, but a, a lot of it, you know, especially with the comic books of the golden age. You know, you had, um, you know, there was a lot of the, the push during the war to you know recycle your your paper and all that stuff. So a lot of the comics got destroyed parents would destroy the comics so there's you know a lot of them are, are, are very rare if someone you know had to keep them or or, or whatnot so there's so a, got a somebody ton of who's like a reasons. hoarder or something like um, that would just keep collecting this stuff that's somebody like that would have this yeah somebody like eddie guavara <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well <laughs> hey guys, I, I hate I to butt in here but we up. got about two oh, minutes God. here so oh, uh, right. i'm gonna wrap it up here real quick this was a, a quick conversation, man, and, and definitely uh, fun. But I want to thank uh, uh, the doctor for being here again and our, our newcomer, Jeff. You know, very appreciative for you coming on. Todd, it, it's always a pleasure. And uh, hearing about the sea monkeys and Eddie, you know, always a pleasure. Uh, for everybody out there, thank you for listening to us. Check us out on YouTube under House of the Unusual. We have a, a ton of different videos out there. Eddie's always putting uh, some different um, – videos of, of magic and mail order stuff so click on there subscribe to our channel you know push that like <laughs> button and, and give us some support could also head on to house of the unusual.com we have a free uh forum site there you could sign up and join and meet some like-minded people talk with them and, and have a good time there's always some interesting conversations and if you want to be a guest or you want to hear a specific topic let us know on the forums and uh, we'll try to uh, definitely accommodate that. So that's wrapping up the end of this podcast. Uh, gentlemen, once again, you know, thank you for being on here. Very appreciative of it. And this was a uh, excellent and, and very fun Thanks, conversation. Guys. It was nice so to meet thank you, you too. All right. Thank you. Here's the difficult part. This show is so exciting. How can you fall asleep after this? <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I got to work tomorrow. Here. Oh. That's right. <laughs>
Rewind it and listen again. So. All right. Bye-bye. All right, guys. Good night. Thanks for coming on.